0: It's, it's not really. It's probably like 9 or 10, but, but I'm going slow because I, I love this book. I mean, I love all of God's Word, by the way, um, <laughs> but uh, I don't want to give you the wrong opinion there. But, but I do love this book because there's something about this book that's really gotten a hold of my heart. The book is very practical. It's, it's kind of like, you know, getting not an instruction manual, but it's, it's like getting a book that just grabs you by the struff. And and reminds you of who you are in Christ and your responsibilities. And um, it's been a joy and a privilege to to come up here every um, Sunday and and speak from it. Um, If you notice in chapter 3, we've looked at what new life in Christ is about. New life in Christ is about setting our minds on things above. New life in Christ means taking off the sinfulness of this world. New life in Christ means putting on And clothing ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. We've we've looked at that. And so now we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 uh, through uh, 4 and 1. Actually 17 uh, through to chapter 4 and verse 1. I should also tell you that for the next three sermons, uh, I'm going to probably speak a little bit more candid um, than, than I have in the past. Just because of the subject matter. Uh, we're going to be talking about issues of marriage and family and work. And, and even though you might not be married inside, you little children, you know, when you hear, oh, they're going to talk about marriage, I could get some extra sleep in. Um, don't, don't do that. You know, one day you are going to be married, as young as you are. God might call you to that. And even if God doesn't call you to marriage... You still need to know about things like marriage because hopefully one day you'll be able to work and hope one day um, God might bless you uh, with children. So you need to learn these things now. So don't tune out when the word of God is being spoken on issues that might not necessarily pertain to you specifically because remember you're not going to stay where you are right now. And as you grow up, you are going to need to learn these principles. And I hope you hear them multiple times, because I am under no illusions that this sermon is going to satisfy you for the rest of your life. And so you need to pay attention when the word of God is being spoken about matters, even though it doesn't touch you specifically, because one day it will, and you want to be ready. So having given that public service announcement, now let's look at God's holy and inspired word. Colossians chapter 3, we'll begin at verse 17 and go down to 4, one. Paul says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service, as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is a time in the service where um, we ask you to meet with us in in a different way, in a special way, to illuminate our hearts and our minds to the teaching of your word. Lord, help me not to be a distraction to your people. Help them to hear your heart for them, your profound love for them your desire for their flourishing. Lord, whenever I say something amiss, help them to forget it quickly. Whenever I interject self, may they not see me, but instead see you. And so I pray for these people that as they hear your word, may they take it and lodge it deep into their hearts and live in obedience to it. Bless us now, Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, at first glance, you might think that verses 17 down to chapter 4, verse 1, is out of place in this text. I mean, after all, Paul just got speaking about new life in Christ. Think this way, put off this, and put on that. But it's not out of place. New Testament professor N.T. Wright, I think, put it best when he said that putting on the new life in Christ actually begins at home. At home, And what he says is actually pretty profound because what he is saying is this. If Christ has truly transformed your life, if Christ has truly done something in your heart to change you from a sinner to a saint, then that should show up in every area of your life. It should show up not just with you, but it should show up in your marriage. It should show up in... Um, In how you deal with your children, it should show up with how you interact with those at work. Young people, it should show up in the way you interact with those in your school and how you treat one another. What Paul is saying here is that new life in Christ should spill out in every area of our lives. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. How does the new life that we have in Christ, if you profess Christ as Lord and personal Savior, how does it show up in every area of your life? And are you being intentional and praying and asking the Lord to help you to have it shown out in every area of your life? That's what we're going to be talking about in the next three weeks. Now, I want to say two things that are so important. The first thing I want to say is this. I am not standing up here as someone who has attained. There have been times in my life, often actually, where I have failed to represent Christ well in my marriage. I've failed to represent Christ well um, as it relates to parenting my children. And I have failed to represent Christ well as an employee and as one who is called to lead others. I've failed in those things. But my failure doesn't negate what God has called me to in fact, one of the reasons that it gives me hope that I can do it is because there is such a thing as repentance. See, a lot of times we get discouraged because we're not the father we should be, or the husband we should be, or the coworker we should be, or whatever. We get discouraged, and therefore we don't do it. but we shouldn't get discouraged. We should repent. And see, that's the blessedness of repentance because repentance puts us back in right relationship with God and therefore we can still walk the path that God has called us to walk in Christ Jesus. So I, I want to tell you that first and foremost so you don't think for one minute that man up there has, has it all together. I do not. My wife is in this building and she will tell you I do not. Right? Right? So I'm not coming up here like that. The second thing I want to tell you is this: everything that I've just read, our culture recoils at. Our culture says that it's oppressive to expect women to be submissive in their homes. Our culture tells us that it's backwards for us to treat our children with uh, love and put proper boundaries around them our our, our Society tells us we're on the wrong side of history if we do exactly what Paul is calling us to do in this passage, right? And so if you are a Christian, it takes tremendous faith for you to tune out the noise of the culture and listen to the Lord. And the Lord actually has an advantage. You know why? Because he made you. You're in his image. And and if you are in the image of God, shouldn't he know what's best for you? If, If God created you, and he created the institution of marriage, and if he created all these institutions that we see in the world, who best to tell us how we should live in them? Some professor or almighty God himself through his word? See, we need to think. God's word tells us exactly what we should do and how we should do it. And when we go against God's word, we go against his plan for our lives. And so I wanted to stress that from the very beginning. This text takes faith to implement. Now, I will say this. The reason why our world bucks at this, and I've I've seen this over and over again, is because of abuse. I can't tell you how many um, videos I've seen of people who have deconstructed their faith. And when you hear their stories, the stories are all the same. I saw my father abuse my mother. I've been abused personally. I've seen abuse. And so because they've seen abuse, they think that these institutions should be abolished and cut down. Abuse is real. Abuse is real in marriage. Abuse is real in the home. And statistically, in this building, if statistics bear out, there's someone in this building that's in an abusive marriage. There's some child that's being abused. And statistically, there's someone on their on their job is being treated unfairly. Statistically. Now, I don't know if that's the case. I've, I've not personally heard it. I don't know if the elders have heard it. But it happens. And we need to acknowledge it. And when we find abuse, we need to deal with it. But I will tell you this. Abuse in no way negates what God has called us to do now we ought not to be abusers we ought not to allow abuse but it doesn't negate the call of God in our lives to live out what we have seen here instead all the more if you are a Christian you should pursue the institutions that God has laid out here for the glory of God and we're going to touch on that in a little bit right so those are my two additional public service announcements right Now, let's get to the meat of it. I want to deal with today, very briefly, the verse number 18 and 19. If you look at verse number 18 and 19, it deals with the institution of marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husband, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, I want us to look at three things briefly. The first is this, the explanation of what a transformed marriage looks like the motivation for a transformed marriage, and the reciprocation within a transformed marriage. And I'm going to explain all those terms, but here they are. First of all, the explanation. Paul says that wives should submit to their husbands, and husbands should love their wives. And the question in every generation is, what do these words mean? Now, some of you know what these means. For the benefit of you that don't know what these means, here is what the Bible says in brief. When the Bible talks about submission... It talks about the wife supporting the husband as he leads the family. Now, in the context of Scripture, Paul tells us how this submission should look. Notice in verse number 18, he gives the qualifier, as is fitting in the Lord. Now, what does he mean by as is fitting in the Lord? He means this first and foremost. This is by God's design. It is God's design that a woman submits to the leadership of her husband in the home. That's by God's design. That's not by my design. That's not by any human being design. If we believe that the Bible is true, the Bible says that's God's design. But it means something else very important. It means that her submission, as she should submit as long as it's, in, uh, it's being consistent with God's word. So in other words, if, A woman's husband tells her something that's not consistent with God's word. She's under no obligation to submit to him. That's the clear teaching of scripture. And scripture points us to these particular things. Now, I want to say this and I want to be very clear. Submission looks different in every household. It really does. I had a friend in um, seminary who was diseased. Um, he had a particular disease in which his arms didn't work and his legs didn't work. And one day he called me and he said, Dennis, I really need to talk. And so I said, absolutely. So he and I went on a walk. And in a walk, I remember him looking up at me and saying, Dennis, I don't think I could lead my home. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, I can't work because I can't use my arms and my legs. If somebody were to break into my house, I, I can't defend my wife. All of the classic ways we think of a man leading his home, he said that he couldn't do it. And so I looked at him and I said, brother, even though physically you can't lead your home, that's still the call of God on your life. You can lead your home in different ways. You could lead your home by way of praying. You could lead your home by way of encouraging your wife. You can lead your home in a multiplicity of ways. It doesn't have to be in the classic ways in which our society typically says a man leads his home. And what does that tell us? Well, that tells us then that submission looks differently in your home. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, wives, how to submit to your husbands. I could tell you that God calls you to that, but that, ha- but that looks differently in your house. And you have to work that out. But it has to happen. Now, real quick, I want to say three things about submission. Four qualifiers about submission. The first is this. Submission doesn't imply inferiority. It doesn't. How do we know this? Because both man and woman are created in the image of God. Ontologically, they are the same before the Lord. When they become believers, they're both given the Holy Spirit. In fact, recently I heard someone say, one of the strongest arguments to show equality in marriage is that we become one flesh. The one flesh union shows that women are not inferior to men and they're equal. And so, if you're inside here today and you think submission means that a woman is inferior, that's nonsense because scripture nowhere teaches that. The second thing is this submission doesn't imply lack of ability to lead or weakness in leading, it doesn't. Read Proverbs 31. I mean, that woman is amazing. She's a leader. She cares for her family. She provides for her family. She's industrious. You know what I noticed? Every man wants a Proverbs 31 woman until he gets one. He's <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. I mean, she's, you know, she kind of pushes back a little bit, and she asks questions. Like, I, I don't ah. Uh. But that's what you want, men, young men who are not married. Listen to me. You want a Proverbs 31 woman. You want her because she's not easily controlled. And she has a brain. And she has thoughts and feelings. She can help the house keep moving. You don't want someone who's a shrinking violet or a wallflower. You want a strong and vibrant woman. That's what Proverbs 31 says. You should long for that. So it doesn't mean that a woman is inferior or lacks ability. Thirdly, I want to say this submission is not an unfortunate byproduct of the fall. You realize that submission was rooted in the fall. That's what it means to have a woman be a help me. That was God's original d- design. And if anything, sin disrupted that. The Bible says that the woman's desire will be towards her husband. He will rule over her. Disruption in the marriage. And what is God doing here? God is trying to set it straight again. Because when something is broken, we often think it could never be restored the way it was. And God says, absolutely, and here's how. Submission, women, is a gift you give to your husband. That's why don't marry someone you can control. Marry someone who is strong and good. You don't want someone you could control. You want someone who you could respect. And if you're in a marriage now and you say, well, I don't really respect my husband, then you need to pray and ask God to help you to do it. Because eventually you'll become to resent him. Now, again, I'm being plain spoken here. Because that's what the Bible says. Now, husbands, your turn. The Bible says you should love your wife, verse number 19. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, what does it mean to love someone? Well, you know, love is principally an action. Now, here's what's interesting. The word husband, the word husband, when it was originally used, was not used of someone who is married. The word husband was actually used of someone who cared and nurtured a thing. That's why we get the word husbandry. Husbandry is someone who cares and cultivates something. And so what does a husband do? A husband cares and cultivates his wife. And the best way to describe that in a nutshell is a husband loves his his wife. Now, how do you love your wife? Well, you love your wife in word and deed. Both of them. And even you that are dating, you're not exempted from this. Your call as the man in the dating relationship is to cultivate the young lady that you're with. How? Through words and actions. That's how. You speak to her properly. You value her in your speech. And not only that, you value her in your actions. That's why abuse is so countercultural to what the Bible says about these issues. That's why it frustrates me when I go online And I hear the stories of these people who have deconstructed their faith, who had fathers who didn't love their wives. And because of that, they lose their faith as a result. The stakes are high. And we're messing around when we don't love and cherish and cultivate the woman that God has given us. That's our responsibility. That's the calling of Scripture. Now look, in our culture, I'll speak to the culture I grew up in, the culture I grew up in, women were treated like maids and just someone to have sex with. And I look back at that and think to myself, that's awful. No, no, no. The job of a husband is to care and nurture our wives so that she grows and flourishes in the role that God has called her to. That's our responsibility. That's why God made you the head of your home. Not so you could order people around. Not so you could thump your chest and say, look at me. I'm in charge. That's wrongheaded. God has placed you in charge of your home so you could be the uh, the cultivator and nurturer in the home. That's your responsibility. That's what God has called you to. Now, again, we fail in this. But that's why repentance is so necessary, especially for a husband. Husband, you know one way you could practically lead in your home? Lead through repentance. Go to your wives and repent if you've treated her poorly, spoken to her poorly. Repent. That's the calling. That's one way you could practically lead. Now, real quick, motivation. There's a strong motivation in marriage. Now, when you think of motivation, I want you to think of motor, and then I want you to think that's something that moves. That's what motivation means. In other words, motivation means what moves you. Do you know, for all of us, something moves us? I have little children. I figured out what moves them. Reward. If I want to get them to do anything, all I had to do, all I have to do, is promise a reward at the end of it, and they do it. For some of us, you know, what moves us money. For some of us, um, our good name is our motivation for doing things. For some of us, um, our motivation for doing things is because we just like the praise for it. That's that's the motivation. But what does Paul say should be the motivation in everything we do? Look again at verse number 17. Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of who? The Lord Jesus. That's our primary motivation. That's what should move us in everything that we do. And notice... Notice in between verse 18 and chapter 4, verse 1, how many times Paul uses Lord as the motivation for our actions, or Master as the motivation for our actions. That's on purpose. Because over and over in Scripture, Paul wants to remind us that Jesus Christ and the law of God is our motivation For every area of our life. Now here's the thing. If Christ is not your motivation for what you do. You know what's going to happen eventually? You're going to run out of gas. You will. You will. Especially when problems happen. You see this in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther King. Azaharas. He tells Vashti. Vashti come and, and dance before us. Or just show your beauty before us. And Vashti says, no. And I'm on Vashti's side with that one. She's not a piece of meat to be waved around in front of these men. And yet, and yet, what happens when Vashti says, I'm not coming? Everybody freaks out. They said, wait a minute, we can't let this stand. We can't let this stand because now... Every woman in the in the area, when they hear what's happening, they're gonna want to do the same thing. Now, isn't it interesting? His motivation for loving his wife wasn't God. No, 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 no. What was it? It was his pride. It was for society. And when your motivation is for anything other than God, you end up destroying and abusing the very gift that God has given you. And that's sad. No, uh, within our marriage, uh, wives, within your, your marriage, your motivation for submitting to your husband isn't because he's handsome or talented or necessarily even good to you. Your motivation should always be for the Lord. And likewise, husbands, your motivation for loving your wives well isn't because she's a good woman, although she may be, and praise the Lord for that. No, 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 it's because of Christ. And as we'll see moving forward, children... The motivation for you obeying your parents isn't because they're always right. It's because that's what the Lord calls you to. And we could go on and on with work and the like this principle. We're going to see it again. So no worries. Don't write it down. You're going to hear it next week. But it's still our calling. That's what we're called to do. Now, again, we fail in this, and that's why I'll say it over and over. We need to repent. We need to repent. The last thing I want to say is this recipro- um, reciprocation within marriage. Now, what, is, what do I mean by reciprocation? Reciprocation means that one action is dependent upon another. That's how Paul wrote this. Notice what he says in verse 18 and 19. He gives an action to a woman, which is submit to your husbands. And then he gives an action to the man, love your wives. And the point is that these two is supposed to work together. Think of a seesaw. Recently, I I took my children um, to the Chattanooga, what is it, uh, the Chattanooga Aquarium. And when I went to the Chattanooga Aquarium, uh, they, on this particular day, they had a bunch of seesaws um, lined out uh, for the children to use. And my children were like, ah, seesaw, right? Forgetting that we came there to go to the aquarium. So they ran on the seesaw and they started going on the seesaw. And one of the most comical things I saw was every now and then, there was a father with his little child, and the father was on one end, and the child was on the other end, and he would go down, he would hoist the child all the way up in the air, you know, and everyone was laughing. And, then, and it was cute. It was cute. It was funny to see the little child go all the way in the air and almost fall and break their neck. Right? I mean, there's, there's something about that danger that's funny. Now, let me say this. It was cute on a seesaw, but it's not cute in marriage. It's not cute in marriage. If the wife is submitting and the husband is not loving, that's not cute. And husbands, if you're loving and the wife is not submitting, that's not cute. They work together. In fact, they work best together. And so much problems happen in marriage. When one person or both people are not participating in your marriage. Remember, God designed it so that there's a level of. Reciprocalness. And if, it, if that reciprocalness is out of whack for any reason, you are going to have problems in your marriage. I guarantee it. That's why God calls us to work in balance. In balance. And if it's out of balance, it would not work. Now, the big takeaway. What's the big takeaway? I have five. I'll be quick. I know I said that three times, but. All right, first thing re- remember that a marriage is a picture of the gospel. When people look at your marriage, they should see the gospel. That's why I kept talking about repentance. God, you, look, God knows you will not be the perfect spouse. That's not the point of this text. The point of this text is to show you what your calling is. But the beauty of repenting to your wife and before God or your spouse before God is that even when you fail, you experience the grace of God in the midst of failure to continue what God has called you to do. That's what the gospel looks like in your marriage. It doesn't look like perfection. It can't look like perfection, but it could look like repentance and forgiveness, which is a picture of the gospel. That's why you became, that's why you're a believer. You repented and God forgave. In fact, God worked in your heart through the process of election in order to make it happen. Second thing is husbands, love your wives. That's the plain teaching of scripture. Love them, nurture them, cultivate them. Care for them well, both in what you say and what you do. Wives, submit to your husband. Show your husband respect. Let him have a place of honor in your life. Young ladies, again, I want to say this. Those of you that are not married, please marry someone you uh, you can respect, not someone you can control. You don't want someone you can control. You want someone you can respect. Number four, children, look for ways to support your parents' marriage. I've said this before. Pray for them. Don't pit your parents against one another. And, and this one in particular, make yourself scarce every now and then so they could have some time together. Children tend to always be underfoot. Your parents need time together. Okay? So make yourself scarce every now and then. And if you're not married, support the marriages in your church, again, through prayer and encouragement and support. Let's pray. Father, who is sufficient for these things? We are not. But I'm so thankful your word helps us to, um, to speak about these things forthrightly, in a loving way, in a caring way. Lord, I pray for the marriages in this church. Oh, Lord. Um, I pray that you might bless it, bless them. And Father, I pray for the one who has suffered from the pain of divorce. Lord, heal them reestablish them in your truth. Thank you for the goodness of your word and what it means to us. In Jesus' name, amen.